Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Jared Mack, Eric Scopel on the show. Uh, we are changing the format here a little bit to the podcast. Uh, one, we're on YouTube now, so go check us out there if you want to watch our beautiful faces uh, on YouTube. Go ahead and check that out. Secondly, uh, we are moving Mailbag Wednesday to Mailbag Monday, and that's going to be a new thing for us this season. Uh, I think this is something Eric has been pushing for for a couple of years, and we've caved. We, we have given <laughs> Eric his request. Uh, and now mailbag is on Mondays. So without further ado, Eric, uh, let's get into these questions because we've got actual football, counting football to talk about. We sure do. And I will say before I start, I, I haven't had an audience to read before since like maybe Mr. Ferrari's 11th grade English class. So I, I hope I stand up to, to a lot of pressure here. A lot of pressure yeah. from the YouTube audience for me to read. OK, so hopefully I do OK reading. Wish me luck. All right. First one from at Nat Fod. Now that we've seen Fresno State in action, did you all see any strengths to watch out for or weaknesses to exploit? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, yeah, we got a chance to see Fresno State on Saturday. They beat UConn, what, 45 nothing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much we can take away from this because UConn might be the worst team in the entire country, um, <laughs> point blank, period. But I don't know, Jared. You, oh, we, all watch, we all watch portions Parts of this of it, game. Yeah. yeah. What stands out, Jared? Uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. It's hard to really take a lot from that game because UConn is so bad. I mean, Fresno State was a 28 and 28 point favorite against UConn, which is ridiculous. So, but yeah, you, or excuse me, Fresno State is a, they're a solid team. Uh, their offense is going to be something Oregon will have to try to handle. Uh, they definitely have some firepower there. Uh, Jake Hayner, is that how you pronounce it? Hayner, Hayner. Um, he had some he had some cramping issues, but and he so he didn't play I think all of the second half. But in the first half, he threw for over three hundred yards and you know had three touchdowns. So there's certainly a potent offense uh, that also kind of goes hand in hand with how terrible UConn's defense was. I'm sure <laughs> plenty of people saw the long touchdown pass where one guy beat five or six defensive backs and scored for eighty yards. But um, I think Fresno State's defensive front is also something not to uh, just kind of glance at. I think they're legit. Uh, I think on the broadcast, they said they had 89 career starts between the front four, which is pretty good coming back. Um, yeah, those are like just a few things to make note of. I still think Oregon should should do the job and win the game pretty handily, but it's not going to be a rollover. Jake, Jake Hayner threw for 331 yards and three touchdowns in one half of football. Um, and was like 20 of 26. Like, and I don't think any of his throws, watching him throw in the first half, uh, most of them were not like these NFL rocket arms like that we see Herbert, um, that we saw Trevor Lawrence uh, or Justin Fields throw the last couple of seasons in college ball where you're like, holy smokes, like you needed a rifle arm to get it, to even get it there. And then let alone the accuracy, like 
that, that's not Jake Hayner. Um, some of his stuff was screen passes or slants or, you know, a 10 yard out um, or a dump off to a running back, but he can kill you if, if you give him the opportunity to, and, you know, ultimately it's, it's probably going to end up for Oregon being, can you stop Ronnie rivers, their senior running back uh, the guy that's, you know, in his career, I, I think now has become Fresno state's career leader in touchdowns with 35 rushing and 10 receiving. Um, you know, this is a guy that, that can do it through running the football and he can also beat you as an option in the, in the passing game. Um, that's going to be ultimately what you stop Ronnie rivers, you stop Fresno state. Um, I, I think their defense will give Oregon a, a solid test, but like both of you guys have said, like, UConn had nine first downs. They were two of, of uh, two of 16 on third down conversions. They had just 107 yards of total offense. But this is like the That's worst it. college football program at the FBS level before the pandemic. And they were playing their first football game in 600 days. Just a couple extra thoughts on Fresno State before I move on to another question. Um, I think when I look at schools like Fresno State in the Mountain West, I think they have some Pac-12 talent at like the top end of their sure. roster. The depth is the issue. So like I look at them and I go, Jake Hayner started at Washington. He's a very high-end quarterback. He'll probably have an opportunity to play at the NFL, never as a starter, but maybe as a backup scout team guy. He's that kind of a caliber quarterback, I think. Ronnie Rivers, Matt just ran through it. Only reason he went to Fresno State is because his dad's like one of the school's other legendary running backs. So there's this kind of lineage there. And then Jalen Cropper, their top receiver who had the nice touchdown that Jared was mentioning a second ago where he ran through a bunch of guys. That was a four-star recruit who had offers from most of the Pac-12 in 2019, but chose to go to Fresno State over those schools. So I think there might have been some academics. But when you look at them, they have Pac-12 caliber guys at the top. The issue is that you get past their top couple of guys, and it's, it's not quite the same caliber. I don't think I watched anything yesterday that leads me to believe that Oregon's going to lose the football game, but I certainly didn't see anything that leads me to believe they're going to win by a similar margin to how Fresno State beat UConn. I don't think this is going to be 45 to nothing at Austin next week. Probably going to be a game that's two to three scorers maybe early, and maybe they pull it, push it to four or five late, maybe. Um, but I don't think Fresno State's like a walkover game. This is probably about as solid of a first game you can get not playing a Power 5 team in my opinion. I think the expectation, right, for, for this game should be that in the first half, it's probably going to be a two-score or fewer game in favor of Oregon. And then midway through that third quarter, late through that third quarter is when this game probably um, expands from a, from a lead perspective from Oregon, where they end up winning this game by three scores or more. I, I think they're you – know, I haven't run, wrote the story yet, but I think the early betting line right now is 20 and a, 20 and a half points in favor of Oregon – so it's kind of right around there. Like I, I t- totally anticipate this game to be close, a one score game or maybe a two score game throughout most of the third quarter. And then, you know, like you said, Eric, the depth of Oregon um, will, will kind of pull away in the fourth quarter and make this game look probably more like a, like a, like a, a four score win for, for the Ducks or something of that nature. Next one, also staying on the Fresno State game topic from at Take It Cheesy. What would be the better game against Fresno State, an offensive shootout or dominated by defense? 
What is your expectation for points scored and points allowed by the Ducks for it to be considered a great showing? Hashtag odds not. We'll see Dan comments. Ideally, I'd like to see no more than 14 points allowed and 35 plus points scored. I actually kind of like that, that last kind of expectation that take it cheesy left there of 35 points scored or more for Oregon, 14 or fewer for Fresno State. That feels like if that's the result, that I would take that. I'd be pretty pleased with that based on what we saw from Fresno State's offense. If Oregon could keep them uh, two scores or fewer, I think that'd be good. Um, in terms of what would I like to see, I, I certainly don't want to see a shootout because if, if we see a shootout, that leads me to believe Ohio State's going to just tear up Oregon's defense because like we talked about – Jalen Cropper is a, a good receiver in his own right. Jake Hayner is a good quarterback in his own right. Ronnie Rivers, same thing. But Ohio State, like, they might have the two best receivers in the country. C.J. Stroud's a former five-star recruit. Running back is always a strength there. They have a bunch of guys that are going to ro roll through. Some guys we've seen the last couple of years even. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you want it to be a shootout. And I think you'd be disappointed. Like, like he said, if, if, if Fresno State scores more than three scores, I think you're going to be probably a little bummed out by the outcome. Three scores as in, like, I think that could be... 21 points. Let's say 21 points. I'd be Yeah, because, like, if they get three field goals, I'm, I'm ecstatic with that. Sure. So, I think, yeah, 21 points is the right way to put this. Um, if I... I would be okay if they go over 21 if it's a game in which Oregon's in the 60s and their starters are out at halftime. Like, where maybe Fresno state keeps their first string offense in and Oregon's second and third string defense, maybe give up two or three second half touchdowns. And, you know, if Oregon goes in to halftime winning 49 to seven and or 49, nothing. And they pull their starters at, you know, in the third quarter, early third quarter. And then, you know, Fresno state's first string rattles off three scores. I'm not going to be too concerned about that. Um, I would be concerned if Fresno State scores 24 points on Oregon's first team defense. I would much rather see a game in which Oregon wins like 31 nothing than a game in which Oregon goes out and they score 63 points, but they give up 38. Sure. Agreed. Jared? I think Fresno State is probably going to put up 21 points no matter what. That's just kind of how I feel about it. It's the first game of the year against a team that returns a lot of guys. Who also has played a game already now. <laughs> who have already played a game uh, against an, another, you know, an FBS team. Um, yeah, and I, I just think that they're going to be – yeah, I know UConn is, you know, kind of there. But so, – sort of. But, yeah, I think they're going to be pretty – I think they'll have a good showing against the Ducks. I just – that's just kind of how I'm feeling right now. I think 21 points is – probably right in their wheelhouse um, in terms of what I'd want to see from the ducks. Definitely. Like, like, like Eric said, I don't want to see a shootout. I don't want this to be 54 to 38 or something like that. Um, a defensive, like a dominant showing would be, would be ideal, but I also want to see good offensive signs from Anthony Brown and company. Like I want it to be a shootout perspective from Oregon's offense, but I want to see them be able to stop Fresno in the red zone I want to see how they cover the flats. I want to see how they contain the running backs and just try to put a, a full a full team effort into this. We're going to have a lot more Fresno State related content this week on the podcast. In fact, it's basically all Fresno State all the time. So this will certainly not be the last time we talk about them. And we'll do full score predictions, game predictions later in the week. So we're, we're kind of giving you the, the early indications here on Monday, which is kind of what I liked about doing a podcast on Monday, answering questions to kind of 
provide that sort of context for the week. Next one here from at Sabin Brab. How does Anthony Brown's last season as a starter compare to Justin Herbert's? Both last started college football in 2019. Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, first off, neither player were all conference. How about that? I went back and looked at this and uh, I, I knew, I think I knew this was the case, but Justin Herbert not being first or second team all pack 12 when the Ducks won eight and one and he had arguably the second or third best individual quarterback season in school history. Um, Damn, that seems completely wrong. Uh, they had Tyler Huntley and Anthony Gordon above. <clears throat> um, so there's just me. There's some research I did that kind of bummed me out. Um, it's hard to compare their seasons because Brown only played in six games before he suffered a season-ending knee injury against Louisville. Um, I would almost look at 2018 when he played in 12. Well, well, but I wanted to look at 2019 because I actually think there's some really interesting data. If I, I, I parsed through this a little bit. Um, because Herbert played so many more games, he has so many more pass attempts. If you were to prorate Brown's pass attempts to what Herbert had, Brown's season is just as good, if not a little better than Herbert's actually. Um, interesting. So only in six games, it's about a third of the pass attempts. I don't know if it, um, it's because Boston College threw it less or whatnot, but if you were to say Brown played a full schedule or had the same number of pass attempts as Herbert, he would have thrown for – um, 3,900 yards. Herbert only threw for 3,471. He would have had 28 touchdowns and six picks compared to 32 and six. And this was the one that was sort of interesting to me. Um, we talk about the deep ball. Anthony Brown averaged 9.8 yards per attempt uh, in 2019 in that limited sample. Herbert averaged 8.1 per attempt there. So from a moving the ball down the field perspective, Brown has the history of doing that. So there's just some context. You go back at 18, like Matt says, the, the numbers certainly aren't quite as comparable. I think Brown, um, you know, not, not he, he was off to a really good start is what I'll say in, in 2019 before things fell apart for him from an injured perspective. And I think we, should, we haven't really talked about it, but we should note that like this guy who's got two different knee injuries that he suffered. So be aware of from a physical perspective, he's not certainly the guy he was when he arrived in college. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, Herbert is the better pro prospect. Um, Easy. But that doesn't mean Anthony Brown can't be a all conference for, you know, quarterback for, for Oregon in 2021. It doesn't mean he can't be one of the better quarterbacks in college football. I, I, I think the expectation for him would probably be to have like a, a touchdown to interception ratio of two and a half, three to one, probably complete upwards of, 62, 65% of his passes and, and be a guy that throws for, you know, if he plays all 12 games in the regular season, be a guy that goes over 3000 yards passing. Like I, I think that's a fair expectation. Um, I, I, I've said this on the show multiple times. I think he's not going to be the first team quarterback in the PAC 12 voted by the coaches. I also think he's going to be one of, the remaining quarterbacks that get named to the first team, second team, or the second team, third team, or uh, honorable mention. I, I, he'll be one of the better quarterbacks in the league, but he won't be the best quarterback in the league. Anything to add, Jared? Yeah, I think people forget that Anthony Brown was pretty good at Boston College. Like, I watched most of the games that he played because I'm from the area, but the offense that Boston College ran when he played was prehistoric. They basically lined up five to six offensive linemen at all times and ran the ball down the opposing team's mouth every down. And what Anthony Brown did so well was 
play action and throwing deep balls. That's why he averaged, you know, Eric, what'd you say? 9.8 um, yeah. yards per, yeah, yards per attempt. That's exactly what it did. They would lull the defense to sleep by running the ball basically 80% of the time. And he, he would catch a defensive back slipping. Someone would release and then he'd find them. And he used his legs a decent bit. Obviously, the knee injury, the first knee injury kind of derailed that from being a real um, part of his game. But he was good at Boston College. And he had a great season going before he got injured for the second time. And if he can get back to that decent level of athleticism and provide a run option, which we've kind of seen from him that we saw from him in the Fiesta Bowl and against USC just a little bit. But if he can get back to that level, like Matt's saying, he can easily be a second team, you know, all Pac-12. Um, he's going to have a, an offense where it's going to be easy to complete 55 to 60% of his passes just like this. And it's going to be up to him and his progress as a quarterback if he's going to complete 65% of his passes. But he's going to have weapons. He's going to have a good offensive line. And if his talent carries over from Boston College, Oregon should be just fine. You mentioned, I'm happy you talked completion percentage because that was one thing I forgot to mention. He was 59% as a, I guess, junior in 19. So that was not quite, that was the one stat I saw that I was a little bit like, okay, that's not quite what you'd like to see. That usually you'd like to see that in the 60s. And like you said, maybe around two thirds completion percentage is usually a, a really solid number. Herbert was 66% in 19. Um, so he had Yeah. The issue with Brown was that he just didn't throw enough. So like if he you know, missed on six or seven passes, that's a third of them. So he's, his completion percentage is already down the drain. Well, and that's what I was, I was going to say is that I said I prorated it, but Brown had about a third of the passes in about half the number of games. So that gives you kind of an idea of a little bit of kind of the discrepancy in, in offensive styles. Another one about Anthony Brown here from at Ducks Cruise. I always enjoy when you grade the position groups during the season. Ah, thanks. <laughs> what grade would you, would Anthony Brown need to beat Ohio State, and what grade would he need to win the conference? Hashtag Otson Audibles. Um, okay, thanks for saying that you like reading my grades. Not a lot of people give me that feedback, so I'll, I'll, I like that. Um, a couple of thoughts here, and then I'll throw it to you guys in terms of just uh, – I said A to A-plus to beat Ohio State. I think Ducks need him to be not good but great in that game. I think when you play average teams like Fresno State, you can have average quarterback play. When you play elite teams like Ohio State, you need elite quarterback play. So they're going to need, like, close to his best to win that game, I think. Um, for the season, I went back and looked at what I gave Herbert for 19 because they won the conference that year. I felt like that would be comparable. Um, I didn't go back and see what I gave Shuck for 19, even though I also won the conference that year because that would be a much lower grade. And uh, frankly, I didn't really want to do that. Um, but Herbert, I gave him an A- minus for the 2019 season when they won the conference. I think the talent might be a little better. So maybe it's a B plus, A minus range for an Anthony Brown next year. And again, for those unfamiliar, this is totally subjective. These are my game grades. I post them um, the, following day, the following morning, usually about 9, 9 a.m., 10 a.m. It's the first thing I do on Sunday after rewatching the game from the previous night. So those are definitely going to be staples again this season. You can see those on Sunday, but totally subjective in terms of the rubric of grading it. I just kind of throw it together based upon what I saw, what I was impressed with, what I wasn't. And, um, it's not like it's using some sort of PFF metric grading or anything like that. Um, I don't know, Matt, what do you think in terms of Ohio state? Do you think you need the best, best from Brown or could they get by with like a B B plus kind of game? They could probably win with a B plus if their defense just plays 
unbelievably lights out. They get a they get a maybe a special team score, maybe a couple turnovers defensively, but anything below a B plus game at quarterback, whoever is playing, sure, is probably not going to be enough for Oregon to win at Ohio State. You're going to need every position group to play one of their better games of the year to, to win this game. Like that, there's no other way around it. Um, I, they, they'll get blown out if Anthony Brown comes out and gives a C a C plus game off, yeah. you know, offensively. Cause I don't think, I don't think even if CJ Verdell has a 220 yard rushing performance where he scores three touchdowns, that's going to be enough for Oregon to, to beat Ohio state. They're not going to win this game. 21, 20. Like I don't see this being that type of a football game. Yeah. I, I don't have too much to add after that. It's it's Anthony Brown needs to be like an a plus a plus plus level to really give Oregon that really good chance of winning Oregon. If he doesn't perform at that level, Oregon's defense just has to go ballistic, which they're capable of, but you know, I wouldn't put, all your stocks into that like Ohio state's a good offensive team and it's going to be tough for them to do like to hold them under what Matt said, like 21 points, 28 points. They're just going to score regardless. And like Matt said, the, the whole team has to perform at that eight, eight plus level. What's the number that Oregon has to score to win? Like, I think it's got to be high thirties, low forties. I would 35 was the first number yeah. that came to my head. 35, 38. Feels like same. Yeah. Just the second part of the question for you, Jared. What do you think in terms of was I was it fair for me to suggest B plus A minus? Oh yeah. For, for Anthony Brown for a season win for the conference. Yeah, I think so. I think we you could probably get away with like with the B plus or A minus. Um, I just think this this team is extremely talented and on both ends. Um, Oregon's defense should be probably where it was in 2019, if not maybe even a little better. And their offenses, you know, as we talked about on these podcasts plenty of times, their offense is significantly more talented than it was in 2019. So I think Brown can, can be a B-plus quarterback, and I think Oregon could have a really good shot at winning the Pac-12. I think he could be a B quarterback and think they could have a really good shot at winning the Pac-12. I was going to say the conference might be a little worse this year too. So maybe you don't have to have quite the same. There's no, I mean, maybe not, but there's Utah was almost undefeated going into that conference championship game too. I don't know if there's another team in the South. I think will replicate that in 21, maybe, maybe USC if they they fire on all cylinders. I just don't know about that offensive line. All right. Next one from at Prince puddles is sorry. If healthy, what's the ceiling for CJ Verdell? Seems like we've been waiting for CJ to, quote unquote, break out and meet his potential? Or do you think we've seen the best Verdell has to offer? I don't think we've seen the best. I also think like, I don't know, like breakout's a weird one. Cause I think we all know he's really good when he's healthy and available. He's just not always healthy and available. So I mean, I think what we saw, I mean, if you want to talk about a breakout, what about his almost 300 yard rushing against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game? I just mentioned in 19 uh, where Utah hadn't a lot of single 100 rusher. And I think, Verdell had like 250 yards and he had like 280 yards against Washington state earlier in the season. I mean, he's got, I think three of the top eight or nine individual rushing games in school history. So I mean, he's had those moments. It's just carrying it over a season and it's not even consistency in terms of how he plays. It's just, he's not healthy enough. Um, 
So like I've said it in the spring. I don't know if I've said it in a while. Um, I'm not going to be surprised if Verdell has an incredible season. If he's fully healthy, this offense, I think, is going to take a step. Um, obviously, they're going to continue to split him with, with Travis Dye, but that didn't stop him from running for 1,200 yards in 19 when he missed four second halves in Pac-12 play. So, I mean, I could see him running for 1,600 yards, 1,700 yards. School record is 1836. Um, I don't think he gets there, but I could see him being in that realm. And again, from a historical perspective, all he needs to do is run for 1,100 yards this season, and he'll move past Kenyon Barner for number three on Oregon's all-time rushing list behind Royce Freeman and Michael James. I think people overlook a little bit of what he's already done. Um, considering mm-hmm. that you think about his career, his first he, re- he redshirted his first year because he had injuries. His true freshman first year was kind of splitting the role a little bit, came on late, um, had a huge game against Oregon State, both Travis Dye and he did. Junior season, he was in and out of the lineup, or sorry, his, his redshirt sophomore season, in and out of the lineup so much. And then last year, he missed half the season because he broke his hand. So um, the guy hasn't been all that healthy, and yet you look up, and if he has a big senior season here, and again, he's technically a junior, he could finish really high in Oregon's. He's going to, I think, finish high in Oregon's all-time uh, rushing list, so – I think I think Verdell routinely is kind of diminished because of his health stuff, but when he's on the field, he's really really good. I think he could be the first team All Pac-12 running back this year. Like, Absolutely. I'm I'm not gonna say he's gonna win Player of the Year. He would be a dark horse candidate potentially. But really quick, Matt, don't you think he's a better candidate than Anthony Brown or anyone yes. else? Yes, and I don't think and I don't think he's I think he's a dark horse candidate for that when one, two. So I'm not sitting here beating the drum, but Verdell is going to be a main challenger for the, for the award, but he could win it. And he's a better chance than Anthony Brown, in my opinion. So I, I agree there. Um, you're right. His, his issue isn't talent. It's an unfortunate for him. His issue is health. He just can't stay healthy. If given the opportunity where he can play 13 or 14 games for Oregon and stay healthy throughout start to finish all 14 of those games or a majority of those games, we'll see a a year that's better than the 2019 season when he went for 1,220 yards, he scored eight touchdowns and he had 125 yards receiving, you know, he he averaged, he had almost 1400 yards of total offense. Um, I, I think his touchdown numbers will probably go up because Cyrus Avilakio is no longer here to, to vulture his touchdowns. Um, I, I hope they rotate Die or another running back, you know, before the goal line situations a little bit more to just to ensure he stays fresh and more importantly stays healthy. But if he's healthy for a majority of this year, he can be the first team running back in the Pac-12. That should be his expectation. He was second team in 2019 the last time he was borderline healthy. Jared? Yeah, I don't think we've seen the best of CJ Verdell. I think we've seen what he has at his best in 2019 where he had like the Washington State game. And yeah, he's an unbelievably talented player. Uh, the offensive line this year should be better than it was last year. They just have gelled more. There's been a full offseason. Um, but yeah, and the, the biggest issue with Verdell is it has been for the last few years just can't stay healthy for 12 games a year. And if he can, he can he can rack it up. He can go for the 14, 1,500-yard season. But if he's going to only play eight, eight or nine, then he's going to miss out on a couple hundred yards. And I think Oregon's offense is going to be just fine with, with or without Verdell. I think they could 
like, well, like if he gets hurt, I think they could manage the load pretty well. But to add him and Travis in the backfield, that's one of the best duos in the entire country. Let's assume that Verdell is healthy. They, they make the um, Pac-12 championship game and they win it. Let's say they win the league and they finish the season 11-2. and two. Verdell plays in all 13 games and he only has one game where maybe he doesn't, he doesn't finish because of injury. Um, so he plays a full 12 games until he gets pulled because of the games no longer in doubt. Sure. Is it safe? Would you be surprised? Like if he has an all American type season, mm-hmm. maybe not first team, but could he get to, a second team, a third team, or maybe even a first team All-American. Would that surprise you? Because I think we're all in, in agreement. He could, he could, he should, if healthy, be a first team All-Pac-12 running back. Can he get to that next level where he's an All-American? I, I think he can. Um, there are some really good running backs that are returning. Like Reese Hall is going to be almost impossible unless he's hurt to, to knock off that first team all-American list. Uh, there's some other really talented running backs throughout the country. Um, but I think his ability to, I think he could put up some massive stats this year. And we talked earlier about what does Oregon need from Anthony Brown to beat Ohio state? Um, maybe Oregon can win with a B Anthony Brown game. If they get an a plus plus CJ Verdell game and he runs for like 200, he does another, pulls another Utah Pac-12 championship game. He runs for 250, he has three touchdowns. Maybe that's what it is. And maybe that like legitimately, I mean, if you were to do that, that would thrust him into some national discussions for Heisman and all American lists and Doak Walker awards and stuff, if that were to take place. So maybe that's his Avenue for something like getting to an all American list, Matt. I think if he struggles against Ohio state and puts up big stats, the rest of the season, it'll probably still be tough for him. Cause a lot of people are going to weigh that game a little heavier than anything else. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Like, He's going to need a couple of those Washington State when he went for 257 and three touchdowns. That Utah game when he went for 208 and three touchdowns. Um, even that Colorado game when he went for 171 and two. Um, he's going to need some of those. He's going to need a couple of those to pop up in 2021 to be an All-American. Prince Puddles is having a great show here. I, my fault in the show notes for including two from him. Um, we'll probably have to hold you for a couple of weeks, Prince, for getting more questions. This is a really fun one, and we're going to do this in segments because he asked four different over-unders for stats for the season. I thought this was fun. So um, I will throw them – all these, I'm just going to go – we'll go in a circle. We'll go Matt, Jared, Eric for all these. Matt, Kayvon Thibodeau, 10 or more sacks, over-under? Over. Jared? Over. I think way over. Um, he had nine in 2019. That was a part-time starter. Now he's going to be the center point of an off defense. That's going to be really good with a much better talent around him. And uh, he'll be playing more snaps. I think he'd get 15 or 16. I think he's going to be off to a slow start because a lot of teams are going to double him early on, but then some of the other guys around him will make plays, which will ease up the double teams because they'll have to be freaking out over, Hey, we also have to block this guy. Like we just, can't focus everything on KT, which will then open things up a little bit for him. So I, I expect a slow start, but a strong finish. I think 10 is honestly a little bit of a disservice. If that were a real betting line, probably want to hammer that. I think it, I bet a real betting line would be like 12 and a half. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Um, I don't know if he's going to get there. Um, 
I think the record's 18 sacks for a season. Jared, can you look that up real quick? I think it's Nick Reed and Ernest. Yeah. Somebody else. My brain's not working very well right now compared to where it usually is, where it feels like it can be kind of encyclopedia with some of these data. But it was like Nick Reed had, I think, 18, and Ernest, somebody else had the same, if you can find it. T-Sizzle, Terrell Suggs. Well, for, for, for Oregon, though, not the Pac-12. Oh, look yeah. it. The, the reason I bring that up is I, I think that would – I think – you know, 10 seems low for what the, the floor would be. I think the ceiling is breaking Oregon's school record in sacks. Um, and I don't think that's going to be crazy. It was Ernest Jones with 13. It's 13? Oh, gosh, 13. I had really inflated that in my head. Oh, he'll break that. I think he'll break that. I think he'll get to at least 13 and a half. In my head, I thought it was bigger than that. For, for top 10 and a single season sack, he only has to get to 10 and a half. He'll get there. There's no question. And and honestly, because this is going to be his last season, if he doesn't get an over on this, I think we'll look at his career not as a total disappointment because he's had some huge moments and like all conference stuff. But we would be a little disappointing if if he, this season ends and it's not some sort of injury related thing that stops him and he has like nine and a half sacks or something, eight sacks. That would be a real bummer, I think. All right, next one. We just talked about this a lot, so we don't have to stay on it too much. C.J. Verdell goes for one hundred. Sorry, one thousand rushing yards i believe he will go over 100 and i also believe he will go over 1000 he might go over 100 in the first game <laughs> going out on a limb with the over 100 but yeah i'll take the over on thousand as well i said way over i think i said earlier like i i could see him running for 15 1600 yards this year um doesn't feel totally out of the realm of possibilities might be another over here anthony brown throws for more than 3000 passing yards i'm very, very, this is the most, the, the least confident I am mm-hmm. probably in all of these. Um, but I will say over, but like 3,001, like oh, it's going to okay. be very close. Right there. That's, sure. that's how I feel too. I'll take the over, but it's going to be by like 30 yards. I'd like, I'd like 3,000 is, is a lot. And I think Anthony can do it, but I can also see him throwing for like 2,800 yards. Which and I don't think that would be a bad season. Uh, Three thousand is just a big number. So I think you look at it and say, like, and this this could hurt him. Do they do what I hope they will do, where it's against Stony Brook, and it's thirty-five to nothing at halftime? Throw out Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford with the first team offense to open up the third quarter to get your future better prepared for the 2022 season, which they didn't do with Justin Herbert and Tyler Shuck um, in some instances. Uh, Maybe not that extreme where Shuck could come in at the start of the third quarter, but if you've got the opportunity to get your younger guys in this football game and keep them with the first-team offense everywhere else, you have to do it. I'm going over. I think the only way this goes under is if Brown doesn't start every game. Um, To get to 3,000 in 13 games, he needs 230 yards per game. To get to that in 14, it's 214. To get to that in 15, it's 200. Um, And 200, obviously, is very optimistic for the season. That means they're playing for a national championship, which, hey, shoot for the stars. Why not? But – like, let's say he plays 13, which is like, which is, I'll say 14, because I think they're going to the conference. That's 214 yards per game. I think he can definitely do that if he's, 
a starter for every game. Like I would say he can get over 3000 if he'd play. I, I, to me, this is more like, is he starting every game? Is he available for every game as it is to like what he actually produces? Cause I would be, I'd be disappointed if the passing offense doesn't average more than 220, 215 yards in a game. I don't know. That's just my perspective. Final one. Oregon's defense gets 13 or more interceptions. Matt. Yes. I think they will be much more opt- uh, optimistic in getting those turnovers um, in part because of what KT is going to be doing and what the rest of the front seven is going to be doing, getting that pressure. Um, I, I think last year was a little bit of a fluke with the, the little turnovers that they did create. Um, I think this year will be more in line with who this team actually is on defense. I'm taking the under. Ooh. Yeah. I'm going to go under 13. I would say they're probably going to end up with around 10. However, I do think that they're going to be forcing turnovers and, and fumbles like all the time. I just kind of have that idea where uh, someone's going to come around the edge like a KT and force a lot of fumbles. And um, I think Oregon's defense in the middle, like with Flo and Sewell, yeah, it's going to cause a lot of turnovers. So I, I, if there is a season total turnover over under, I might take the over. But for interceptions, I'm going under. I'm going over. So that's all four. I'm going over. If Prince Puddles, I, I, I wish he was working for Vegas because if these were the lines, I think I stand to make some money, um, which never happens. Oh, right. yes. Um, they had 20 turnover, sorry, 20 interceptions in 2019. It was second nationally. Um, I think that was a school record as well. I don't think they'll get 20. That's a huge number. That's, you know, you do the math, that's basically one and a half per game. That's, that's a lot. Um, I do think what Jared was talking about in terms of getting after the quarterback and forcing fumbles is a good point. I also think that same thought process of Kayvon Thibodeau getting upfield and Raiden Swinson and Adrian Jackson and all these guys getting upfield after the quarterback, in theory, makes me think that there will be rush throws, throws under duress that are going to lead to some balls that are just not where there's the quarterback wants them to be based upon Oregon's pressure on the quarterback. So I think more than 13, I probably would pick 16, 15, something like that, just a couple over. I don't think it's crazy. 20 is a big number, but I think 13, 13 feels doable to me. It's basically one per game. Those are the questions, Matt. That's all we got. That's all we got? We got, so we got more? I got no more. Unless you want me to go find some. We had like 20 questions. I cut it down to six. And again, I apologize. <laughs> I think that's a good problem when, we're, when we've got that many uh, questions submitted. Um, I was also following our, our, our show notes. And you, I, I realized at the very end that you skipped – a couple to get to the last question and reset the order again. So I was looking oh, yeah. at it saying, Oh, we're on five. We've got one more. Here we go. So, no, I, uh, I, I did that. And I was just trying to see if you guys were paying attention and uh, look at that. Matt, you guys were, you figured it out. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us uh, here on the odds and audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions on this Monday mailbag edition. Get used to that. Get used to sending in your questions post game. I imagine the next mailbag that we do will uh, be chock full of Fresno State reaction and quick thought reaction to now playing Ohio State uh, that coming Saturday. So thank you again for submitting your questions. You've been listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. 
Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.